Okay, so welcome back. Episode number 91 of the Locker Room Podcast. Haven't been a host for a while, so welcome back to all our listeners. A massive interview for me today and um, huge gratitude for Gareth Ainsworth who's coming on the podcast. So Gareth, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, welcome, Ross. Absolutely welcome. You know, it's, uh, it's nice and hopefully, uh, you know, a few people will get to know a bit more about me and, and, uh, and the things that, you know, I've been doing recently. Brilliant. No, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we're calling today Building Culture and the Environment, something that you believe in um, in, in quite a lot. So we're going to go into a little bit of detail around that. So thank you again for the, from the listeners and myself for, for you coming on. No problem. We'll go into your detail, but obviously anyone who hasn't um, heard or, or doesn't know too much about Gareth, obviously just recently uh, QPR manager, QPR manager, Wickham manager for an extensive period of time and then an extensive playing career that we'll, we'll touch upon on your journey. So a man with lots of experience within football and outside as well, that I'm sure he's going to bring to the table. So a very exciting one today. Just before we get into it, I just want to guide everyone towards dailysportscience.com. So loads of things going on at the minute. We've got online fitness classes for exclusive to members. We've got our winter webinar series that's coming up, but I'm kicking off on Monday night, which covers a whole range of uh, different topics from physical and tech tech and lots of different coaching expertise as well. So head over to the website if you're not a member. Have a little look. There's a few little offers on there uh, going on. Okay, Gareth. So it's hard for me not to call you Gaffer, actually. Um, it's, it's only been a couple of weeks, so it might take me a bit of time to get used to that. Um, I think you said to me before, it's the first time since you were 16 that you've not been working in football in some capacity. How's things at the moment? How are you getting on? Yeah, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a, a, a weird one, Ross. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a funny sort of 10, 12 days now. It's been since... Uh, Obviously, the uh, the Leicester game, which ironically we, we played quite well in, but um, results up to then haven't been great, you know. And, and obviously, the, the clubs uh, the clubs sort of had its troubles over the years, and I think they've gone again a change, and and that's absolutely fine. I think I was at peace with that. I could I could tell um, things were happening, the results weren't great, so it's just the being out of it that's been weird, you know. So from, I think. Uh, I spoke to someone the other day, and since 1987 is the last Saturday that I had um, without being signed to a club, <laughs> which is absolutely crazy, you know, in in any capacity. And you know, I had a I had a, a couple of um, you know rejections, and but it was only like a month out, and then you're back in, and that was when you're 18, 19, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, last Saturday was a really, really strange, you know, experience. It was a uh, it was the first time I hadn't been assigned to a club, so I had no vested interest in any club except Blackburn Rovers, who's my hometown. Um, and even that, the the uh, you know the the affinity with them has has diluted over the years with uh, with what I've done in my career. And when you're playing elsewhere and managing elsewhere, you know it it's, it does dilute that sort of relationship with your home club. But yeah, really weird one. So um, I got a few friends round together and we watched it together. Um, uh, I can't say I didn't have a beer or two because I thought I don't <laughs> want to just sit there and uh, and just uh, mope about and wait for the goals to go in. We had a bit of fun. We had a good day, and uh, yeah, we got I got through the day quite well. And, and uh, people don't understand that it becomes part of you. You know, you've been football that long; it becomes who you are. And uh, and again, I'll talk about that in a, a little bit because um, there is some people who absolutely are there. It identifies them. And I didn't ever want to be that sort of person. I have other interests in my life, but um, it was a weird situation. So to get through that was, uh, was nice to see QPR get a point. Um, 
believe me, I'm not one of these people who are bitter and look and think, I hope everything fails now I've left. I actually hope the opposite. I hope QPR absolutely fly um, because there's great people there. The staff are great. Um, the club itself is great. It's not the club I played for. It's changed a lot since then, but I've got a vested interest in some of the players I brought in as well, you know, and I really want them to succeed and do well and, uh, and hopefully, you know, played a, a real proud moment in keeping them up last year in the championship. Um, you know, uh, I know we only had, I think, nine or eight or nine, eight points, I think, when I left. So if those eight points can go towards keeping us up this year, um, I can say I did a little bit as well. But um, it it was uh, it was a weird one. But um, no, absolutely uh, getting stuff done around the house and uh, and picked up the guitar again. And, uh, and like I say, other things to occupy my mind. But I do... What I do is uh, I've, um, I go to the gym every day. I make sure I do that because I'm a big believer in sort of, I did it when I was working, obviously, you know. Um, but once you get a workout done and you feel good about that in the morning, the rest of the day can become a bit of a breeze. So I think that if anyone is, uh, you know, in the moment of, of not doing anything or feels a bit down or something, I'll tell you what, exercise is a great way to start the day. A lot of, In the morning especially, you know, you feel like you've achieved something already without even a 30-minute workout. You feel like you've achieved and then the rest of the day you can crack on and maybe have that chocolate bar later in the afternoon and, uh, and that makes you feel better as well. But you've, you've had your gym session. So, um, no, little things that, um, that have meant a lot to me. Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks. Well, you, you touched there a little bit about your past and your the kind of relationship with Blackburn Rovers and, and stuff over the years. I know you love Berkshire now and London. I know you've, you've been here for a while, but that accent's really strong and your love for the North is really strong and passionate as well. Tell us a little bit about your journey from playing, um, how you grew up, and then how that transitioned, I guess, into managing. Yeah, I mean, we could go a long time, so I'll give a whistle-stop tour of this. Uh, big football fan growing up. You know, Dad was a big uh, football player, non-league football player around the Blackburn area, and uh, and Mum was a, a decent athlete as well. You know, she played a high standard of netball, which I, I sort of get that from. You know, the sporty sort of influence is always there, as well as the music influence. Mum was a musician, and, and, and Dad was an avid rock and roll gig goer, you know, so those two things also will play a part later on, I'm sure, in the talk, but um, Blackburn Rovers season ticket holder from the age of six and then uh, didn't really get in my school team till I was about 14, 15, you know, and, and was a late developer and then sort of shot through and was faster than everyone, was stronger than everyone and I don't know why, sometimes it happens and I think that's a, an interesting one for people watching or coaches watching, you know, you can't judge people at 13, 14, people say to me, is my son going to make it? And I, and I say, well, t let me see him when he's 19, 20, because then you you know, get a real view of someone. And I was one of those. I was never going to make it at 13, 14, 15, 16, just surpassed everyone. I remember one guy in the team was an Irish international and everyone was looking at him. He's the best player ever. And then I, all of a sudden I, I got better than him and got quicker than him and got stronger than him. And, and so Blackburn offered me a two-year apprenticeship. Dream come true, hometown, club I supported. Back in the day, it was YTS. It's about 1987, as I said earlier. And uh, two years did that. Um, Colin Hendry, Simon Garner, a big hero of mine, you know, cleaned their boots. And uh, after two years, was told I wasn't going to make it, you know. And uh, but but the two years time uh, taught me a hell of a lot about football. I'd never played men's football so much, and we, so we got in training with the first team, and that really got a passion for it. And uh, one big influence in my career, the biggest probably, um, my dad. Um, said to me, "Don't worry, I think I think you've got enough to make it." And uh, and lo and behold, Preston North End came knocking. Uh, said, "Do you want to come on trial?" Went on trial there. Um, 
didn't make it after a month and went to sign for Northwich Victoria in the conference uh, under a guy called Sammy McElroy, people know from Man United. Um, Preston then came knocking back saying, oh, you've actually done all right at Northwich, we'll give you a contract and uh, ended up going to Preston North End, made my league debut in 1991, I think, and uh, and then ended that season and again, a knockback, you know, I was told I wasn't going to make it again. Um, but by this time, I'd put myself on the map and uh, a scout called Glenn Burnell, who um, I'm still in touch with today, uh, got a great eye for a player. I have to say that because he spotted me, but uh, <laughs> he's a good guy. Um, took me to Cambridge United and I'd say that this is where my journey started. This is where my education of football and not just the physical side. It was always a physical sport for me. It was always a, this guy called John Beck was the manager of Cambridge United and he taught me uh, um 19, 20, well, 18, I think I was 18, 19 years old, the mental side, how how that plays such a huge part in the game, uh, way beyond his years, John Beck. Gets a bit of stick for his style of play. He was billed as a bit of long ball and uh, and had this method that he used. But the players, I went down there, Dion Dublin and, and, and you know, Stevie Claridge and Alan Kimball, you know, some real, I went on to the Premier League, some of these players, you know, um, he, he made them and he said to me, I might you a Premier League player and and I've just been released by Preston. I didn't realise he was going to make that come true, but meeting John Beck was a pivotal moment in my career. Um, the, the irony is six, six months, not even that, four months into my Cambridge career, I made my debut on the Saturday, scored the winning goal against Bristol City. This is the championship, by the way, the Cambridge were in the second tier, believe it or not. Probably look it up because they were actually in the second tier and um, they just got to the playoffs for the Premier League and all this. But this season was our second season in the Championship. I scored my the winning goal against Bristol City on the Saturday. John Beck got the sack on the Wednesday. So he put me in the team. I scored the winning goal. He got the sack on the Wednesday. He got the Preston job. So the first player he came back from was me. Took me oh. back to Preston. So back to the Northwest. And then, uh, yeah, three years there, Ross. Um, John again. Uh, got the sack at Preston. Um, he was great. He was brilliant at getting the crowd together and and really good motivator. One of the best I've worked for. But his style of play just kept this tag with him. He, the cold showers and that. We, we do ice baths nowadays. He was doing cold showers back then and it sort of went against him. But, you know, now it would probably go for him because he was ahead of the game. He got the Lincoln City job. Um, so I went to Lincoln City. Um, I think it was for about five thousand pounds and uh or, or initially and then and then it raised into like fifty thousand pounds and the one moment i always thought as a kid at school if one day somebody would pay money for me to be a footballer i that would that was a big moment for me my league debut was a big moment at shrewsbury away but that somebody had actually paid money for me it was john who we'd been with for a while but he actually paid a club paying money that's like a big moment for me i don't know if it is for the footballers but actually a transfer fee you know it means Somebody really wants you. Um, so two years at Lincoln City then. Um, and John, again, got the best out of me. You know, I, I scored 25 goals in my first season, I think. And uh, and then the second season came. We finished well. And Port Vale, then uh, they lost Steve Guppy and John McCarthy, two fantastic wingers. They, they moved on and they were championship. Lincoln were league two. And um, Port Vale paid half a million pounds for me. I think a record... I think it's still their record transfer fee, which is nice. Uh, it's a nice thing to have. But um, John Rudge, um, wily old manager, really good guy. He took me from John Beck 
where I'd refined all the physical attributes and this mental thing that I'd started that, you know, this, this desire and this drive in my head, John Rudge took me to Port Vale, half a million pound. I played one year in the championship and John really refined me as a footballer then, a, um, passing rather than the, the physical side of the game. And, and yeah, after one year at Port Vale, Wimbledon in the Premier League paid two million pound for me to, to go to the Premier League. So from, from, so sort of 19, 20, being told, 19, sorry, 18, 19, being told I wasn't going to make it. Um, I think four, five years later, I got signed for two million in the Premier League. So anyone who's looking and, you know, if there's any potential players looking, don't give up, you know, it's people's opinions. And that's when it came to me. It's only people's opinions, this. Joe Kinnear paid two million pounds for me, Premier League. And, um yeah, went on to play for Wimbledon for four years. Um, injury hit, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I I, I was I, no regrets in football, but one sort of wish was I, I wish I'd have stayed fitter at Wimbledon. I sort of played through a little groin injury at the start. Uh, I went there without an injury, but after the like two or three games, I started developing this little niggle in the groin and. Play through it a little bit and lesson to everyone on there again, don't play through your injuries because that turned into sort of a pubic overload thing that kept me out for a year and missed a great deal of Premier League football, you know. And by the time I'd come back, Wimbledon were in a relegation scrap. They came down, played in the championship a lot for them, but really missed the Premier League days, you know, and uh, and that would have been nice. But um, long to Cardiff City um, from Wimbledon and then permanent to Cardiff City. Um and we got promoted then at Cardiff City in the playoff final. This was League One now. We got promoted to the Championship in a, a game against QPR in the Millennium Stadium. And then Ian Holloway, who was the manager at QPR, saw me playing for Cardiff. And after the final, came up to me in the bar at the Millennium Stadium and said, I'd like to work with you. Um, I've seen what you do. And my contract had come to an end at Cardiff. Uh, so Cardiff had just been promoted to the Championship. QPR was still in League One. Ian Holloway was the manager and he said to me uh, that in the bar and I thought, fancy that, you know, Cardiff were umming and ahhing about whether I'd play for him in the championship. I thought, sorry, I'm going to go to QPR. So I went to QPR under Ian Holloway, signed a two-year contract and did seven or eight full seasons at QPR, um, captained the club, which was one of the proudest moments of my career, you know, and played again with some brilliant players, Paul Furlong, who's still there, Kevin Gallen. Martin Rowlands and some real fantastic players. We got promoted to the championship. We were at the top of the championship for years. And 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 then John Gregory, Gary Waddock, Luigi Di Canio, Paolo Souza, Ian Dowie. I mean, the story of the, 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 the keep your management time in that area. Flavio Briatore came in, took over the club. Um, bit crazy. And uh, because I was the oldest prom, I'm coming up 36, 35, 36 now. And Ian Dowie gets the sack and Flavio puts me in charge for five games. And uh, I had never, ever an indication of trying to be a manager or anything, Ross. And then um, that moment, I was I was going down the road to physio, actually. I was I was qualified as a physio. I tried to do my courses as a physio. And, but that moment when Flavio put me in a caretaker charge, that sort of wet the appetite thinking, do you know what? I wouldn't mind having a go at this. And then, uh, but probably not under Flavio. So uh, that was, uh, that was, you know, the end of that really, a couple of caretakers spins, 10 games, contract came for an end at QPR, went to Wickham, 36, 37. Uh, and I really believe that the way I'd looked after myself, and I'll come to that in a bit, the, the way I trained, the way I'd really done things and looked after my body um, and the injuries I got at Wimbledon that 
two years out probably I got back at the end of my career I really did and I looked after myself I trained hard I was in the gym every day I always did it to the max in training every single day I never never tossed one session at all it was really full blast for me and um I think that paid back at the end of my career and I played to 40 really in in the league I did one game at 43 but that was a cup game away at Northampton but 40 actually in the league um finished at Wickham and Gary Waddock was the manager the ex-QPR manager he took me to Wickham can't thank him enough and then when he got the sack um as managers do you know I I um I was given the player manager role and temporary turned that into a a decent sort of finish to the season and then became actual manager of, of Wickham Wanderers and um it was sort of right place, right time, but also I'd had the taste at QPR. And I think that being the captain that I was, the leader that I was, I think they probably saw a few qualities in me that, you know, these people see you and they go, right, yeah, he could do it. You don't actually think yourself you can do it. People see you and and they go, right, yeah, you can do it. And then that sort of got me into coaching badges, coaching roles. And yeah, 10, 11 years at Wickham with a, a rise from the bottom of league to, to the championship some of the greatest memories ever, you know, Wembley, COVID year, nobody in Wembley Stadium beating Oxford United and to get to the championship. We survived on the last day of the season in my early days. Cup runs, Tottenham Hotspurs, and 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 just a real brilliant rise, which I can't credit the boys enough for. The boys were just fantastic. Um, and then obviously in February of this year, QPR came calling after a a few managers had, had sort of one had left, one um, one had come in to try and stop a, a, a you know a losing run. Didn't go right. He went. I think with Neil Critchley, and then after Neil, I, I came in and um, tried to pick up the pieces of of a club that yeah was struggling a little bit, if I'm being honest. And uh, and yeah, so it was uh, it was an interesting role at QPR as well. Keeping them up was a real proud moment, and I'm, you know glad to say you were involved there, Ross. You know you played your part, and uh, we all. We all were so proud of keeping the club up in the championship. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, the 14 games this season hasn't gone the way that we wanted it to. And uh, yeah, just find myself sort of out, out of work now. But I think with the playing career and the management career, I think there's about 1,200, 1,300 games there. And uh, I can't be thankful enough, you know, to to uh, to what's happened. And, and I say what you've achieved. It's it's what I worked for. It's what I strived. It's not. It's it's like I always looked at it as just work hard, Gareth, and you're lucky to be in it. And 34 years, it's not a bad stint. So, um, but that was the story. Yeah, it's it's uh, loads of resilience in there, and loads of hard work and and breaks and opportunities. But big believer in when the opportunity is there, take it, see it, and take it. You know, and and uh, um, yeah, really really proud of of what I've achieved over the years. Yeah, you've been really successful and, and it was never going to be that quick with what you've done in the game as a player and a manager. So you've done well Sorry. to summarise it. <laughs> um, obviously, you was at Wickham for 10, 11 years and hugely successful. And there was like videos going around at the end of how emotional it was for you to actually say goodbye to that great group of players and the, the camaraderie you had together. What was your mind thinking about QPR? It's obviously in a struggling time. You, you There was a clear agenda of keeping the team up. You'd left somewhat a club that You've been there for so long and you had such a, a great, I guess, following and, and comp status around what you'd done at Wickham. How yeah. hard was that? And what was your mindset at that time? Um, unbelievably difficult, Ross. Unbelievably difficult. When you talk about a family of players and a, and a, and a connection with players, 
Um, there won't have been a stronger one in the country. And I was the longest serving manager. I'd had more time than any other manager in the country of having their team. And and what we'd achieved together as a group, um, we didn't mind showing our emotions. We lent on each other at Wickham. We were there for each other. Believe me, it wasn't always plain sailing. Um, but the group would pick me up sometimes. The players would pick the manager up. I'd pick the players up often, but the staff would pick me up. The staff would pick the players up. The players would pick the staff up. It was unbelievable. Um, some days I'd go in, Ross, and I'd feel a bit of a fraud. I'm thinking this place is just this place is just thriving and running itself, you know. And and I think when you get to that as a manager, you kind of you kind of look back and think, you know what? It's not fraud. It's what you've put in place. And it's really hard sometimes to to think about that as a manager and go, you know what? Take some credit, Gareth. Because I'm that guy that doesn't do that, it was really hard sometimes. But and nobody ever really comes up to the manager and says, "Well done." But um, it was nice to look back and say, "You know what? Um, I had a great group who would be there for me." And uh, I mean, testament was 12 days ago. Um, I must have had 10, 12 texts off Wickham Wanderers players. You know, okay. as much as QPR players and, and people in the game, Wickham Wanderers players, those players still picking me up to this day you know um so leaving them was incredibly difficult and that speech people will see online on, on twitter i think it got was uh right from the heart genuine you know i mean so so wrenching everything that we put in place together the whole training round we built together and, and made it what it is can't thank the people the Kirigs who are in charge at wickham enough for giving me the trust and 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 what they wanted to do and and I'd probably say if I hadn't got to the championship, Ross, with Wickham, maybe that decision would have been even tougher. But I thought, you know what? We've been there with Wickham Wanderers. We were in that championship. Um, what what an achievement for that football club, you know, and and that bunch of players. They were unbelievable. Every single one of them had, had achieved by getting to the championship. And uh, the challenge at QPR was just huge, you know, and it really attracted me that this club that was on a, it was a bit of a messy run. There's a few obviously management issues where um, things had gone on through the season. And and I think they'd won one in 15 or one in 14. And it was like, right, I've got to, I've got to sort of really think about this one, but the ex player thing, you know, 200, nearly well, 175 games for QPR and, and still have some people there that I knew. Um, it wasn't just a yes, I want that. It was like right, think about this one seriously and 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 debate. But you know, to managing the championship um, of such a wonderful club, I, I think um, I'd have been crazy to turn it down. And uh, and yeah, it was a, it was a great moment keeping them up at the end of the season. Really was. Yeah, it really was. Well, let's talk about that environment and that culture you spoke about that you had for so long and and the place of thriving because that's testament to yourself. How do you go about driving that? What does it look like to you? What does that ultimate culture look like going into a team and what you want to instill? So it's, it's really, to, to, to get there, um, you've got to be consistent behaviour all, all, all the time. You know, I'm, I'm a positive guy and I, I always would ooze positivity every day. And uh, But you can't just be positive and think you're going to get results. You know, you've got to work hard as well. You can't, you can't just be positive going in every day and, and sit back and do nothing. You've got to live what you're saying you know, every day. And I think that... Um, the one moment you 
dip below that line, the players will have you. They'll they'll find you out as oh you, yeah. So you dip below that line, you lost it that day. And and so safe to say, I've never done that. I've never dropped below that line. I've always been that guy, that positive guy. But um, cultures um, cultures for me are not built by one person. It's built by the group. The group's so important. So recruitment, Ross, um, and believe me, I didn't have the group I wanted at the start at Wickham. It took me 18 months and a survival scrap and almost down on the last day of the season to get out of that, a phenomenal escape. But I knew I needed to change and it taught me a big lesson that day at Torquay, I think. Um, I remember the year now, 2012, 13, I think it was that season where we almost went out of the Football League and that club had been in the Football League since 1992. I didn't want to be the manager who took them out, but I knew... Once we'd survived, as soon as that bus journey home happened, and by the way, that was a hell of a bus journey home. <laughs> um, I knew what I had to do, and I got right on it of signing players and making some big decisions on staff and current players that were good guys, but they weren't the drivers that I wanted. I think you need drivers in your squads, real culture drivers. You can't just get good people who are followers, you need drivers within your squad because you're a driver, but you've got to get drivers in your squad. So I signed Alfie Mawson, I signed Paul Hayes, um, you, you know, some real, uh, Matt Bloomfield, a new contract for him. To, just because I knew these guys would drive the club. They would drive what I wanted to get in this club, you know, and I got rid of one or two that I thought were either blocking the drivers or, um, or, or just too passive and and there was a big turnaround of players as well as that a guy called Andrew Howard came in who came in as chairman and really he was right on my level of um he, he was tougher than me he can he can really upset people and 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 make big decisions a big successful businessman he taught me a lot about that and uh a lot about the 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 decision for the bigger picture not just that one individual and um so getting drivers in the squad and then coming up with a leadership group, which I called my generals, was really important. You've got to get your generals on side. You've got to give them extra little privileges. You've got to, you've got to talk to them. And, and the trust between you and the generals has got to be so, so close that you know that in that dressing room, they're going to just, they're just going to resonate with everyone. And, and it's really important that you pick the right characters as well in your dressing room. You can't, you can't just pick your, your four best leaders if they're all uh 32 year old white males who've always had all, all their successful career you need a youngster in there you need some some maybe some ethnicity in there to, to link with everyone you need some some real culture in there and so we chose it really carefully so the youngest player would have a connection in the generals the oldest player would have a connection in the generals um the players who don't play have one the play the new players who come in, they all have this connection with the generals and the generals will drive and you've got to empower these generals and and a little bit of luck as well. I think you've got to have a little bit of luck that the generals are listened to by the young lads. And, and again, I think it's signing the other players who are receptive to these four or five people who are going to drive the culture. You know? And the culture comes from you and then the staff and then into the generals. And and that was that was big for me, you know. So um, and it took some time. And as you say, at 10, almost 11 years at Wickham, you get to then that end stage of, wow, you know, people there for years, Joe Jacobson, Matt Bloomfield, you know, 
been there just years at the club, really knew when you talk about an identity of a club, they the, they are the club, these guys, you know. And, and um, I remember when I, when I left, they were talking about Joe and Matt taking over as, and they would have run the club fine. They were that good. You know, your players like Gareth McCleary, Sam Volks, massive players who played in the Premier League, just bought right into the The culture was that strong. They bought right in. As soon as they walked in the dressing room, and if anyone messed about it, if anyone didn't do training right, if anyone, I didn't have to pick them up. The other players would pick them up. And there's no bigger sort of power than your peers saying it, you know? If yeah. the manager says it, it's his job. The manager's got to say it. But if your peers say it, that's massive. And that's what we had at the end. And when I came into QPR, that's what I wanted to try and introduce. Yeah, you really did create something really special there, Gareth. Um, you spoke about your backroom staff and you spoke about people being drivers. And I know you're massive on energy, like people having real energy and bringing that yeah. to work. How do you then, so you construct the backroom staff like that. How do you interact with your backroom staff? Who do you have that maybe is slightly different to you and balances things and a bit diverse maybe? Yeah, well, when I get when again, when I say when I say I was lucky, um, when Gary Waddle got the sack, there was me and a guy called Richard Dobson. Uh, now Richard stayed with me the whole time, and and, and uh, we both left QPR together the other week. But he's been with me from day one of my management career. Um, now, fortunately, he's the total opposite to me. So for me, that covers all bases. It covers a lot of, not all maybe, but a lot, a lot of bases because. If it was up to me in the early days, I'd have probably gone, right, get my best mate who's another energizer coming in. Who, who's going to plan? Who's going to be the strategic one? Who's going to, who, you know, who's going to be the quiet one who goes, who challenges us? You know, I, I don't want to yes men all over the place. And the beauty of Dobbo is um, we've fallen out so many times. And I say, I say that as a beauty because I, I remember actually recently speaking about a player in the, in the January window. I'm talking about this player, this midfielder. I'm saying he's coming up and and he was in, I think it was League Two and saying, yeah, I think, and he's saying, no, no I don't think he'll make the standard. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, look, he's he's got this, he's got, he's saying, no. It's, and what I'm good at and what Dobbo knows is I'm good at influencing. I'm, I'm I, We did this Thomas International um, psychology test once and I came out as a huge influencer, a huge influencer. There's influencers, there's, um, dominance, the steadies, and this compliance. I was a huge influencer. Now, an influencer and a compliant and a steady, you're going to influence those guys. The dominator, you can still influence him. Dobbo was a real steady. A re he came out as a real steady, and he's a massive introvert. And he said to me about this midfielder, I'm trying to, he knows I can't influence him. He will have, be his own person. And I love that. So he said, no, I'm not going to just agree with you guys because you keep saying it over and over and you're trying different ways to convince me. He said, I'm not agreeing with you. And I need that sometimes. I need that. And that that checks me. So anyone who's watching, if you feel like you've got someone exactly the same as you, then have a little check and maybe get someone else in and go, somebody to challenge. Now, you don't want some idiot who's going to disrupt, but you want someone who's going to keep you on your toes a little bit and challenge you because you need that. I really believe in management, you need to be challenged. And uh, and so Dobbo, you know, brilliant. Uh, but the opposite of me, quiet, methodical thinker, whereas I will win games on emotion and passion. And, and um, you know, we're both coach and you can coach, you get a manual and you can coach from a manual. But I think the characteristics of each person have got to be different. And we covered quite a few bases together. Yeah, the irony is Dobbo was my youth team coach at Brentford many years ago. So that was um that was that was good to see him come through the door anyway, familiar face.
you, you spoke there about different, I guess, managing and different styles of managers, about you've got the coaching, you've got the way that you like to manage. What parts of the job do you really love? And then what little parts of the jobs do you think, I don't love that so much? There's always parts of jobs that people think, yeah, I could do without that. Yeah, 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 definitely. No, um, I would say that the the parts I love is uh, is coaching the boys, you know, um, putting a plan in place for us and, and uh, coaching the boys to that plan and getting buy-in from the boys, you know. When um happened one or two times, I remember we went to Burnley uh, second last game of the season, you know, and we had this real real opposite plan to what we'd just been doing. You know, we was trying to play. I, I brought this um, this philosophy from Wickham of I had the best physical team. I had a great physical specimens at Wickham. We could run over energy-wise. We would never stop. We would we would fight and we'd scrap and we could run over teams. So we were man for man for teams. We'd go, I'm, I'm confident that this is going to happen. When I came into QPR at first, we had a few tough games you know we had one where we did it against Watford but then we tried to recreate it on the Tuesday against Blackpool and we lost 6-1 and it was like these boys they can do it but they can't do it for a suspended period like the Wickham boys could and, and it was league one it's a different league the step up's different so I started thinking right we've got to play differently we've got to start thinking about different ways of getting the best what what as a manager now I've got to think I, my skill now is to get the best out of these boys here we went to Burnley away and uh I still say one of one of my finest moments. Um, Burnley had destroyed everyone at home. They hadn't lost a game all season. And uh, and we went up there and all I said to the boys was, all week we're going to sit in, we're going to sit in, they're going to come at us, we're going to soak everything up. Because all teams had gone to Burnley was going, right, let's have a go at these, like the top of the league, let's have a go. And they pressed them and they tried to win the ball. Burnley were going in behind, they had pace, they had pace down the wings. They were They were just opening teams up. So I said to the boys, there's going to be no space to open us up. We are sitting in. There is no space at all. We're camping on our, our, our 18 yard line. And, and, and the boys sort of on the Monday, they're like, Oh my God, this guy's crazy. Like what's this? And then Tuesday, they sort of got it a bit more and I had to change the team a couple of times. You know, I had a, I needed pace in the, in the forward line to get in behind because we were going to leave so much space behind Burnley rather than Burnley getting the space behind us. So, to change the team and pick a couple of different players. And I remember Albert coming in and saying, oh, Adama on the right, because he's very experienced, bought into it big time. I think um, it's Lyndon came back into the team up front and Jamal Lowe, because they had pace to go in behind. And I felt for Chris Martin, because Chris is a fantastic striker, but it wouldn't have suited him this, you know, maybe later in the game. And lo and behold, we all know what Chris Martin did later in the game. So, um, so that buy-in that week, that's what I love, you know? And then, and it worked at Burnley and then coming in that dressing room at the end we showed them a little Muhammad Ali George Foreman video before the game and so different ways of getting the message across I said Burnley or George Foreman they're going to punch themselves out they're going to come at you they're going to pick and they're going to wonder why they've you've not fallen down in the second round the third round the fourth round and then you take your chances and honestly I get I get little hair standing on my arms now talking about it because it went like that. They 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 burned themselves out, and we got in behind and we scored. We, and they were like, "What the hell's going on here?" You know, this wasn't in the script. They equalised, and I, believe me, Ross said I took a one-one right then. And then at the end, we got a set piece, and Chris Martin scored that header. That um, he, you know, and I remember going to the dressing room and said, "There's thirty um, Muhammad Ali's got on that bus yesterday," and it was a great moment. And now those plans you put in place when it works, that moment, and then the boys, the smiles, and believing in you, and that's that makes it all worthwhile, you know. Um, the tough bit, I suppose, is is when 
players haven't quite made it and and they haven't quite made your standard and and you've you've one thing i've 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 been guilty of i think is um there's a famous saying that the hope it's the hope that kills you and sometimes i'm that positive and i'm that confident in a player that i'll give them so much hope sometimes i think to myself guys you you've you've really really pushed him and i believe they would make it and if they don't I've given them so much hope that they would, that that's a big fall sometimes. And that's hard, you know, Ross. And, and when you're releasing a player at the end of the year or you're not playing a player or he drifts out of the squad because of this. Um, and and it's all genuine. I really believed in that player. I wanted him to be better. I think one of my big strengths is making players achieve more than even they could think they could. And, and that's that's where we get to. But some of them just don't maybe get to that place that I thought they could, that they thought they could. And it's that's the hard bit, you know, because... Yeah. All they've wanted to do is footballers, and I've been there. I've been there where I was told I wasn't going to make it. So I think one of my big strengths is empathy and uh, and trying to put myself in their place. I think it's really important for coaches. Um, if you've experienced that, use it. Use it with them, you know, and put yourself in their place. And uh, all players want when when I was sat in an office with a manager or a coach and I wanted info, all I wanted was honesty. I didn't want them to give me any crap and say, Oh, you're out of the team because of this or this. Don't beat around a bush. Tell me straight. And deep down, I know that, but I need to hear it from you. You know. So honesty, I think, is is my my number one thing, and and I think that that gains a lot of trust from the players because they know you're going to be honest with them. Well, I think your authenticity shines through, and and in terms of uh, the Burnley game, that was a fantastic day. I was fortunate enough to be in your in your backroom staff travelling. It was a rope a dope moment. We was camped in. I remember you saying in training that. Um, even when they put down a goal kick, just run back to the halfway line and they yeah. won't know what to do. Yeah, um, they took a goal <laughs> kick short and they looked up and we're like 30 yards <laughs> away and it's like, oh, this wasn't in the script. So again, it, you know, sometimes upsetting people and, and going off script because there's many games where it's gone like, oh, this is going to happen this way. As coaches and managers, try and, try and disrupt it, try and disrupt something and make something happen. I think they're your best moments at times. Yeah, 100% agree. Just switching a little bit now from football, because um, I know it's another area that has real passion for your life and is close to, close to heart. You're a lead singer of a band, um, and yeah, you've had a, a music career as well, and it's something you're really, really interested in. Talk a little bit about that for people that don't know what you do outside of football and where you're currently out of your band now. So earlier in the interview, you alluded to it. You know, mum was a professional singer growing up, and uh, so lucky to have that music in my world. You know, um, so. I always say, Ross, a musician first and uh, and football came second. And, and that's true. You know, it was always like, you can sing before you can kick a ball. Believe me, there's, there's babies singing now that can't kick a ball yet. So um, I always say that that was, that was who I am. And that I think that keeping that with me has really been a strength for me, you know, um, having something other than football that sort of identifies you and, and, um, because as I said, you know, the last 12 days have been really tough. You're no longer the QPR manager. You're no longer a championship manager. You're no longer a footballer. You're no longer working football. What have you got? Who are you now? You know, and I've thought, you know, I've got some gigs lined up. I'm going to Norway next week to play a few gigs. Um, I, I was out last Friday just doing a few covers with a friend, you know. So that's who I am. And that's me still, you know, and that's that's really important to me. But yeah, mum growing up was uh, was brilliant. We saw a gig a few times and, and she taught me to sing, which people say, can you sing or can you not? You Everyone, well, a lot of people can hold a note, but there's breathing exercises and ways to do it and head voice and things like that. So 
um yeah I, I just wanted to carry that on so from uh the age of about 25 I had the seven years where I was football football there about 25 years old signed at Wimbledon um Trond Anderson uh the Norwegian guy was uh we sounded he was a great guitarist Chris Perry was a good drummer we we put a band together and I just carried it right forward and uh and uh when I got to QPR the 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 band with Tron and that had all finished and we'd all gone our, our different ways in football as you do but um I met a QPR fan Lee Sargent lead guitarist we're still together today we we formed a band called Dog Chewed the Handle one because it's a cool song but two you're not going to forget that name as well so that was <laughs> that was quite cool and then um eventually we've morphed into the Cold Blooded Hearts so me and Lee um fantastic musician Lee and I we 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 wrote an album together we I say we Lee did most of it. I was uh, I was a bit part in it, but there's a couple of songs credited. Um, and we've got 11 originals out on an album, uh, The Cold Light of Day, uh, by a band called The Cold Blooded Hearts. And and we released that in July. Um, and that's that's been doing okay. You know, steady, steady. Um, we're not number one, um, but uh, we've had some good reviews. And if anyone wants to see the musical influences that I've had over the years, then... Uh, you know, download or, or buy that album because that's uh, it's doing okay. Yeah, we're 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 really proud of it. And um, as I say, Monday nights was rehearsal nights, and I'd go down, and it, all it was was remembering the lyrics, knowing what the chords next, and and that was that was a real release for me over the years. And uh, I think it's nice to have something away from football because a lot of people do get identified just as football. I was on a course yesterday, um, and you know, we, keep, we through the LMA we do these uh, these these courses, they, they, the LMA are great. They keep you in, in the loop. And, um, but I, I just look around the room and think, you know, how many people have got something else in their life or, or just football just identify them, you know, cause you see so many people who are just in it and, um, it must be tough if, if that's all they've got, you know, I, I do, I do, um, really t tell people to have something else, have another interest, you know, because, uh, not one, one that doesn't take over football, of course, but, um, you know, or or or, or GA or whatever your sport is, but definitely have a release somewhere. I think it's really, really important. Even if you've got a dog or something and you go home and you walk your dog for an hour and you just get out there and you that but have something. Don't be consumed by it because it it can be all consuming at times. Of course it can. So download the album or travel to Norway for the gig. <laughs> and, uh, it's cheaper on the album, right? <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Gareth. Well, Gareth, thank you very much. I've got one summarizing question for you now, and uh, you might not be able to go into too much details or read the future, but for you, what's the future for Gareth Ainsworth? Uh, what does that look like long term? And probably depends on a few things that come up in the meantime. Well, um, immediate future was I, when I when I left QPR, I thought I've got to have some direction. I, I've had a couple of calls off a couple of clubs. Um tentative things like you know but i just said look just not yet i just i'm 34 years i just want to maybe take a step backwards maybe learn a bit more um about me about about the game uh maybe have a christmas without football i don't know we'll see uh the boxing day will be interesting because i'm gonna run them for a long time um do you know what i i made a promise to myself that uh i'm going to learn the guitar properly i can't I can't pretend that I've been a great guitar player. I've just been 
pretending most of my uh my, my musical career so that's a big drive for me now i want to i want to practice every day and have a name to 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 be better on that and, and learn that properly so that's the name that's something i wanted to drive towards on the job front um i'm open you know i'm really open uh whether it's this country whether it's abroad um we'll see what comes you know but uh i know for a fact that you know after the Wiccan Wanderers and the survival at QPR, there's plenty to offer. Um, you know, a League Two team wants to get to the championship. I got a history of that. Um, <laughs> a League One team wants to get to the championship. I got a history of that. Um, and a championship club wants to stay in the championship. We did that as well. But honestly, um, being happy is really important as well. So just if I can keep smiling, like I say, I work out a lot. I try and try and keep myself fit. Um and just talking to people, you know, don't, don't, I spoke to someone yesterday and they said after they were sacked, they couldn't get out of bed for a week. And I feel for that person. I, I don't want ever people to go through that, you know, get up and do something, get something done. Even if it's a gym workout, a walk or, or people say, make your bed, just make your bed. At least you've done something, you've achieved something that day already. And then everything, everything's a positive going forward. Um, it's a tough world and, and football's football management's a tough world, but Again, last last thing for me is perspective, Ross, you know. Um, I think I'm lucky that mum always said, as well as being a fantastic singer, she always used to tell me, um, don't worry, there's always someone worse off than you. And when you look around the world, there certainly is, you know. And uh, and I think perspective is, is, you know, I'm all this, you're all this. And, wow, you got the sack from QPR, you must be really down. And I'm like, I'm not as down as some people in the world, you know. And perspective's big for me. So, um Yep, give you all, do everything you can and go right back to the start. It's only somebody's opinions, you know. It's, it's what you think that counts. And uh, and I just, everyone can be happy. The world will be a great place. Brilliant. Gareth, thank you very much. I had the huge pleasure of working with you. Um, I loved every minute of it. I think your authenticity and, and how much of a nice person you are, first and foremost, has come through on this. So I'm very confident you'll be successful in the future. Um, and we really appreciate you coming on and, and taking up your time. Proud to have had you in my team, Ross. You were, you're definitely a warrior and uh, we wouldn't have done it without you. But thanks everyone for listening and uh, good luck everyone in your careers. Thanks, Gareth.